I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many bad and uh, What did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with friends and people. Hey guys, welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears about the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, the Gotham Train Museum. If you're at all interested in seeing what we've got, you're either a baby or a very old man in a conductor's hat. The Gotham Train Museum, for people of two ages. Now, today's episode of the podcast will be focusing on one of the earliest episodes of BTAS, a gangland morality tale called It's Never Too Late. Joining me is Batman fan and actor-slash-comedian Mark Schroeder. He's got stuff like this to say. And it's become one of my favorite episodes now. And it's interesting because I think with time, you realize that there's a lot going on in this episode. And it's become, just thematically and story-wise, it's... it's Amazing. And sitting with Mark and I will be a first for the podcast. She's an amazing guest. I'm so excited to have her. It's Batman the Animated Series composer Lolita Ritmanis. She composed and scored the episode we'll be talking about and says stuff like this. On Batman the Animated Series, there were so many composers that were starting out. I mean, I think we counted it was something like 20 some odd composers that basically filtered in and did some of these um, episodes. And I wouldn't say that there was anyone that wasn't good. Hey, Justin, sorry to interrupt, but did you say there will be a composer on the show? Oh, hey, Kevin Conroy bot, my robot assistant who looks identical to Kevin Conroy and sounds nothing like him. Yes, I will have a composer on the show. That's cool. I'm working on making my first solo album. It's called Beep Boop Bop and Other Robot Songs. Want to hear the first track? Ooh, you know I do, KCB. Beep Boop Bop, Beep Boop Bop, Doodle Dee Boop, Doop Doop Bop Bop, Beep Boop Robot Song. That's it. What do you honestly think? I, um, I like it. Please don't lie. It hurts my robot feelings. Also, I have a built-in lie detector. Oh, sorry, I, I just didn't want to hurt your feelings. I mean... It was okay. Okay, it was bad. Okay, it was worse than bad. It was it was one of the worst songs I've ever heard, honestly. Oh my god. Okay, fine. It was garbage. It was literal garbage to my ears and a waste of our time. It wasn't even a song. It was just you making the same noises you make all the time, except this time you called it a song. That's not a song. There. Are you happy? No, of course not. You just called my first song literal garbage. See you later, Justin. I'm going to spend the next two weeks learning how to cry. You are truly cruel. No, KCB, I'm sorry. All right, well, guess it's time we moved on. Today's episode, it's never too late. Arnold Stromwell, an aging mob boss, is about to be rubbed out by rival boss Rupert Thorne. 
Batman senses an opportunity to resolve it peacefully by attempting to convince Stromwell to retire while keeping the crime boss one step ahead of his enemies. Original air date, September 10th, 1992. Story by Tom Ruger. Rugger. Rueger. It's spelled R-U-E-G-G-E-R. I don't know. Teleplay by Garen Wolf. Directed by Boyd Kirkland. Music by Lolita Ripmanis. Animation by Spectrum Animation Studio. Featuring veteran TV actor Eugene Roche as Arnold Stromwell, the super funny Paul Dooley as Father Michael, and one of my favorite recurring guest voices, John Vernon as Rupert Thorne. Now, I think it's episodes like these that made Batman the Animated Series stand apart from any other cartoon, past or present. I mean, it's slow-paced character drama with very little Batman, and the further the series progresses, the less of this kind of stuff we got. On the surface, It's Never Too Late has all the trappings of a sappy anti-drug episode, but luckily, I think it rises above the stinkers like The Underdwellers and I've Got Batman in My Basement with a strong mood, understated voice acting, and a really wonderful score. Like the Two-Face two-parter, this episode is much less about Batman and much more about a one-off character turning his life around. That's probably because it's essentially an homage, or rip-off, whatever you want to call it, of the 1938 gangster noir film Angels with Dirty Faces. You know, but with Batman. I think it's just fun to see purely gangster stories without any flashy villains. Just mob bosses in nice suits sporting Tommy guns and tear gas. Now, it might have been seen as lazy writing to just place your main character in the plot of a famous 30s film, but for kids like me who had no idea that that movie even existed, I think the episode was different and compelling and ultimately propelled me to watch those kinds of movies later in life. I don't know if I would have been interested in noir if I hadn't seen Batman first. It's kind of weird to see a church and a priest so prominently featured in a kid's cartoon, but who doesn't like Batman lurking like a gargoyle atop a gothic church and accidentally scaring a priest with a wooden leg? If you don't, this is not the podcast for you. So, on that note, let's get to the interview. Today's fan, Mark Schroeder. Mark is an actor and comedian based out of Los Angeles. He's a member of the UCB Herald team Dunk Tank and the second member of the sketch group Private Street to appear on the podcast. Listen to episode 5 to hear his buddy Yak talk about the Riddler in the What is Reality episode. Today's guest, Lolita Ripmanis. Guys, I am so excited to have Lolita on the show. She's the first composer that we've interviewed, we being me, uh, but she's an incredible 10-time Emmy-nominated composer and a driving force in making this show sound as good as it does, and I think we all agree, and I'll take your silence as a yes, that music is a huge part of this show and a huge reason why the show is so awesome. In addition to scoring Batman the Animated Series, she also worked on Superman, Batman Beyond, Justice League, Young Justice, Ben 10, Spectacular Spider-Man, Avengers Assemble, and many, many, many more shows and movies that you've probably heard of or listened to or loved or both. So let's just get to it. Uh, I think you both have wonderful names. Oh, thank you. So we've already started rolling. Uh, I'm sitting with Mark Schroeder and Lolita Ritmanis, and we're here to talk It's Never Too Late, which is one of the earlier episodes of Batman the Animated Series. It's a great one. Mark, you mm-hmm. actually wanted to talk about it, in particular when I originally emailed friends who were fans of the show. I did, I did. You... Um Reached out to me and told me to come up with like a little list. <laughs> yeah, it was like a lot of people want to do hard advice. I, I, that was my number one, and um, so I, I did a list of about three, and then this one episode kept coming back into my mind. It's never too late. It kept coming back, kept coming back, and the reason it kept coming back, and this is going to become complimentary, but as a six-year-old, seven-year-old, I really 
never liked this episode because there wasn't a lot of Batman. There wasn't like a main uh, big canon villain. So as like a six-year-old, seven-year-old, when they would replay it, I would be like, oh, my God, this episode, this episode. So it was stuck in my brain. I said, no, I got to go back and give this episode a watch as an adult. Yeah. So I went back and watched it and then loved it. And it's become one of my favorite episodes now. And it's interesting because I think with time, you realize that there's a lot going on in this episode. And it's become just thematically and story-wise, it's it's amazing. Well, yeah, it's like a gangland story. It's a 30s noir. It's basically angels with dirty faces plus Batman. Yeah, (laughs) That's essentially what it is. At the time, I could not appreciate that at all. The flashbacks uh, to the the train scene, I was like, oh, I want a Joker. I want a, where's Catwoman? But growing up, you know, you look back and young Mark knew nothing. Young Mark was (laughs) foolish. And new Mark, old Mark. Old Mark, old weathered Mark. (laughs) Old weathered. Much wiser. So, yeah, I really wanted to talk talk about this one, yeah. Well, Lolita is here because she composed the score for this episode. And this was your first episode on the show, right? It was my first solo episode, yeah. I, if you know the, I don't know if you know much about the history of how I, was, I became involved in this I show. I would love to know. So start at the beginning. Well, I won't start at the very beginning, but I'll start at the beginning part of uh, getting to know Shirley Walker. Uh, she basically had gotten this job to be the supervising composer for Batman the Animated Series. And uh, she is such a prolific composer. I mean, great music. And she, and she was quite busy. I think she decided to start this experiment of hiring uh, young composers, aspiring composers, and basically allowing them to write on the show. And luckily, the people at Warner Brothers agreed to, to allow her to do this experiment. And um, we first started out, just a few of us, basically being mentored by her and first orchestrating for her and writing just a few scenes on her earlier episodes. And eventually, if if we kind of passed the test, then we were given a solo episode. So It's Never Too Late was my first big solo episode. Interesting. What was your first episode that you didn't do solo? Do you remember? Um, I did some. I did a little bit on Christmas with the Joker. Oh, cool. That's like uh, one of the turned, very first episodes. Yeah, I wrote did. on the uh, point one of the Poison Ivy shows, and I and Michael McQuiston and I actually were Shirley's first first students, so to speak, and uh, then eventually we each got our own solo episode. I don't remember what his first solo episode was, but yeah, it was such an exciting time. I mean, the the, uh, the whole scoring industry was a little bit different back then because we had all the stages, recording stages were basically full most of the time. And on Batman the Animated Series, we had regularly 30 to 35 musicians on every single episode. It's incredible. That seems unheard of now. Yeah. Well, it's it's actually, I think it's more and more popular. It's really? just, um, you know, you have to kind of convince the higher-ups that it's worth spending the money. Mm. It absolutely is, though. Because it sounds I, amazing. Yeah, I think, I mean, we have great samples now, and music is music, and you can make it sound great. But the idea that you have a human being blowing blowing their life into a trumpet or a French horn or bowing the violin a certain way, and it adds a great sense of drama. And especially with this kind of score, for It's Never Too Late, it was definitely a noir kind of homage to that yeah the kind of yeah, yeah. noir era uh, score it I think it would never have translated as well with just synthesizers so it, mm-hmm. it was great to have these great players on this score yeah well so how did you meet Shirley well actually um, I grew up in Portland Oregon and when I was 17 
I decided to move to Los Angeles, and I went to a school called Dick Grove School of Music, which basically was a school specializing in film music and and composing and arranging, more of a trade school per se. Now you can study film composition at uh, USC or mm-hmm. Berkeley School of Music, but back then there really wasn't that many, that many other places to do that. And uh, eventually I got a job at Warner Brothers being a music proofreader and also, I did some ghostwriting for other composers and orchestrating on really big features for, for name composers. And uh, Shirley had heard my, some of my work and basically put out the, the call and said, hey, would, are you interested in, in participating in this? And I mean, can you imagine? You know, I'm, you know I was in my early 20s. It's hmm. like, are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> of course, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and she was so gracious uh, these days. Again, I, I, I speak of these days as, as if they're bad. They're just different. Um, but Shirley always gave everyone full credit for what they did. There wasn't any kind of like, oh, well, you're going to write for me and, and, and I'm going to take the credit. And basically, we got full screen credit and also cue sheet credit, which is something that you know you get your royalties for. Mm-hmm. And she was very, very respectful of, of young talent and nurtured us in a way to want to pass that forward as we went through the business. So. That's wonderful. And That's I mean, cool. what a good mentor to, to yeah. have. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you've ended up scoring so much action adventure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you worked on most of the other DC animated shows associated with Batman, I believe, right? Did you work on Superman and Justice League? Yes, I, yes. And um, Young Justice and Ben Ta- I, I It's a you, long list. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, I, my, um, Shirley basically had her first, the first show was Batman the Animated Series, and we went on to do Superman. The animated series, and I mean, there were several different incarnations, like New Batman, Superman Adventures, right. all the different you know permutations. But it's basically what it was. It was either Superman or Batman, right? Um, but at a certain point, she became really busy with feature world, and um, we, Michael McQuish and Christopher Car- Carter, and myself, uh, we kind of branched off. She basically pushed us out of the nest and said, "Okay, I'm doing my features. You guys, you know, take it from here. You do your thing." And mm. And uh, I think the pivotal point was right after Batman Beyond because we had done Batman Beyond under her supervision. And then we, uh, the three of us, uh, unofficially partnered up and went on to do, yeah, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Legion of Superheroes, something called the Zeta Project. Yeah, I've seen that. There was a crossover uh, yeah, yeah, with Batman yeah. Beyond. Yeah, Batman, yeah, well, Batman Beyond was a whole other thing. You know, well, for, yeah, I mean, what was it like g- jumping from Batman to Superman to Batman Beyond? But and musically, it's all very different. Justice League and Justice League Unlimited were also, like, different stylistically. Right, right. Well, Justice League, um, that was a really fun show for me because I it was kind of my turn to try to do the theme. So I, I was... I was able to do write the theme and and Warner Brothers sprang for money to hire a big orchestra to record it and and that theme actually was my my first primetime Emmy nomination so I, I lost to Thomas Newman's uh, six uh, six feet under <laughs> hmm. but it was anyway just to have an animated shows theme that Justice yeah. League theme is yeah. as iconic to me as Batman the uh, animated series like it who feels... remembers the six feet under theme today uh, well <laughs> seriously anyway it's no, 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 I'm no, no, a no. huge I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Thomas Newman so yeah I was just excited to be there but um so yeah we went on to do a bunch of DC stuff and and uh just in the last like the last 10 years were officially known as dynamic music partners. Right. Yeah. And it's been great. It's really, we don't 
write that much together. We just basically share the workload and mm-hmm. share themes and, and are able to be the people that the director or the producer, they, you actually meet the people writing the music because there are a lot of composers now. It's, it's just impossible with post-production schedules to have to do all of it yourself. Mm-hmm. So often there's one main composer and then that composer will have a stable of you know, sometimes 20 composers working yeah. for that person. So if you hire... Myself or Michael or Christopher, you're basically you're getting us. <laughs> so, you're getting a human being. <laughs> you get, well, no, you get human beings. I mean, not, the, but yeah. it's basically you can you can look at me and say I hate what you wrote <laughs> or I love what you wrote and and know that actually that's you know I did it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, so were you drawn to this style, uh, like you know, like this kind of stuff? Did you like comic books and and that Batman growing up? You know, up? I watched the old Batman. You know, I'm not going to sing the theme, but the old Adam, Adam West. West. Yeah, yeah, I watched that. Um, but I, I, it wasn't necessarily on my uh, kind of plan. I didn't think that I would be writing for animation. I was, I started out as a singer-songwriter. Mm. And uh, What kind of stuff? Oh, well, I, I listened to Carol King and James Taylor and, you know, pretty melody stuff. I loved and then it, through the 80s, I loved all the stuff that David Foster produced. and and uh, But when I started going to school here, I realized that, you know, I was, I'm a good singer, but I didn't think I was a great singer, but I, I'm a really good composer, and I really liked melodies, and I liked telling stories, and somehow the two worlds of, of being a melody writer and then film music and how to combine that, that kind of, there's something, a light bulb went on, and that was the moment for me. And that's where I really started paying attention. Um, I really, you know, I love Jerry Goldsmith and John Williams, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't love John Williams? <laughs> and um, I also liked a composer named Dave Grusin, who did a lot of uh, kind of, a lot of piano and jazz kind of scores. And he did On Golden Pond, if you've ever heard. Mm-hmm. That was a pivotal score for me, just re- listening to that. And, of course, I think my all-time favorite, Ennio Morricone, who's my, just, I just love yeah. Ennio's music. So, um, it's, it's, uh yeah, the comic part of it, I think it's it's all comes down to story and working on the Warner Brothers uh, products. Basically, uh, a lot of the things that Bruce Tim has come up with over the years. I mean, there's the the stories are so strong that it really doesn't matter if it's if it's drawn or not drawn. It's just it's you know you the stories are compelling and they're told in a way that are it's interesting for the parents to when they're watching and the kids are interested. Mm-hmm. So where you may not have been that interested and it's never too late originally, <laughs> maybe it was kind of a good placeholder. Maybe your your parents maybe liked it more. That's true. They were probably more into it than I, I needed a constant stimulus as a, yeah. <laughs> as yeah. a child. But now, I mean, when I get a story that is a, a little, little more deep and a little more interesting and compelling, it's just such, it's great. I mean, action is fun. Having people People, you know, having the characters run around and smash things or, or, you know, whatever, save the day. It's great. But it's also nice to have a little bit of the psychological intrigue. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about It's Never Too Late and kind of, you know, walk us through sort of your process and using that as an example. And maybe we can talk about the episode as yeah, well yeah, as we go along. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's been a while, <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, this episode is, it is different than a lot of the other series episodes. It's like, it revolves around a crime boss more than it revolves around Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Stromwell. Yeah. Yeah, Arnold Arnold Stromwell. Stromwell. Exactly. A redemption story for Arnie Stromwell. It's like, uh, it's a wonderful life. 
and like kind of like a Christmas story. It's a, it's, a, it's got strange sort of thematic origins. Well, yeah, almost. Batman goes out of his way to just help this one guy. You know, he's like, I see a peaceful solution. Yeah. So you know, which is. I don't know, kind of what makes this Batman fun <laughs> than other versions of Batman. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to find a way to take care of this without violence, Exactly, if yeah. Seeing that change in him is, is very interesting, that he sees an opportunity to fix a crime solution maybe the right way and see if he can get Stromwell to, like, turn himself in. So it's a, it's a really cool look at Batman himself as a character. So. Well, how did, how did you approach things, like, initially? So when when you're given a script, what do you do? Well, we uh, actually, when the script phase is, it's very rare that we actually look at a script. It's usually we're already watching a edited version. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because of, well, it's not it's not necessarily that we that I wouldn't want to. It's just usually a new show. They don't even necessarily think about who's going to write the music until it starts com- coming back. The animation starts coming back. Mm. But the voices are recorded and... Definitely with this, with this crime thing, just the voices, the, the, you know, the gangsters and that, you know, I mean, it's kind of almost stereotypical gangster kind mm-hmm. of dialogue. It just seemed like it needed to have that kind of straight ahead noir, noir feel. And mm-hmm. there was definitely the jazz, some of the jazz harmony, quite a bit of saxophones in there and, and low brass, you know, giving that darker kind of vibe. And yeah, when you're talking about it's a wonderful life, like going back into kind of a a dreamy aspect of it in places where where there would be a a moment of reflection. Um, it was great to have that or- the orchestra there to be able to kind of put it in like a interesting velvety sheen of yeah. of mystery. Yeah, and let the story be told. So it's I I the music the voices are really part of the music. So the music is really there more to subliminally influence you. Hopefully, hopefully the listeners don't even really remember the music that much. They just remember how they felt when they watched it. Yeah, well, in this mm. show also, dialogue is more sparse, especially in earlier episodes of the series. And mm. I feel like music takes a front seat, but not in a distracting way. But it really does. I mean, to me, and I feel like you we probably would agree on this. Like, yeah, certainly. Batman the Animated Series, like, what I love so much about it is the music. Like, I, I have the soundtracks. I listen mm-hmm. to it in my car, especially on a rainy day. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, There's a few rainy days in L.A. Yeah, I know. Come on, give us rain. <laughs> I just looked up <laughs> yeah. at the ceiling. <laughs> oh, give us rain, I'll please. i match under a sprinkler. If you want. Yeah, it's sweltering uh, today. But, but you could that music would actually work for sweltering heat too. Oh yeah, that's true. That's good. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, this especially this yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I feel like I mean this is probably jumping around, but especially those train flashbacks where we kind of see this like train hurtling in its own like billowing cloud of smoke. Mm. Uh, there's something like very powerful about like whatever. Uh, I'm going to say the word sting, and I don't think that's the yeah. word I'm looking for, but I told you I don't know anything about music. <laughs> but, like, it felt like there's, like, a sting or something that, you know, like the train kind of bursts through, and it's like a powerful barreling music that well, propels things yeah. forward. Yeah, what was cool about the train sequence now, I mean, I, I hear, I don't know if you if you play any music on the podcast or not, or people just have to get the La La I soundtrack. I do play a little yeah. bit, yeah. So the train sequence um, often something like that you wouldn't necessarily even write music for because it'd be the train is so loud but uh-huh. the sound effects people left room actually you know the producer decided to leave room for the music so the music had its own propelling kind of rhythm yeah. and i yeah. remember we had three percussionists all kind of going nuts on the tom-toms and the you know different instruments and and there was a, a very rhythmical kind of motor motor element going in the orchestra so the orchestra had its own feeling of being a train and uh 
it was very very powerful and i was i was amazed at what big sound you know 35 musicians could could come up with yeah, yeah and i think you feel that that whole sequence is is extremely tense it's a combination of the music that does have that locomotive feel to it when you're mm-hmm. when you're listening and then it's coupled with the animation it's it's an amazing sequence that makes you nervous that this child well, is going to be run over by a, yeah it happens yeah it happens two times and the cool thing about the sequence more on the animation side is you see the train coming towards this kid and he's in the foreground and it gets bigger and bigger and you have no idea how close the train is to the kid because the train just keeps getting larger and larger so they yeah. played with that sense of scale and it's a, a fascinating sequence that's pretty scary yeah. yeah yeah i mean i remember as a kid I don't actually don't know how I felt. I think I liked the episode, but it felt like a weird one. Because, yeah, I also, you know, you love the colorful characters, especially as a kid. But, like, when I watch this now, I'm like, oh, this is more complex and interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like it was, a, it, it could, it had the opportunity, or not the opportunity, it could have been a sappier episode than it ended up being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah. it kind of was an anti-drug episode couched yeah, yeah, yeah. in. Couched in it, yeah. But it was almost like just a diversion. Uh, otherwise, it was, it was really pretty action-heavy. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's the, it's, it has kind of that swooping, um, da, 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 da. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. it's kind of a, I don't know. Oh, it's, it's so cool to hear you sing. sing it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't sing on there, but the musicians played that quite well. It was, uh, I think it, it was more the kind of let, let's let's put ourselves in a, in that noir world. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that, and not the rest of the Batman series. I mean, we'd have occasional, the odd episode that was completely, you know, a Joker episode that was completely, you know, in a different character, but but a lot of it was more dark and and just straight ahead minor chords mm-hmm. and, and, and big big melodies and big dramatic reveals and so this was just oh let's do something a little different so would you listen to anything for inspiration or was it just you know collectively you kind of knew where you wanted to take it well just to take ourselves back in time when this actually happened i mean imagine yours truly in her 20s, sitting with her mentor, and she surely basically reviewed all the music before it was recorded. So uh, not all of it was that was recorded was the way I originally wrote it. Some of it was Mm -hmm. she had, you know, think about this, you know, when when he's churning, do you really want that? Do you really want that trombone playing the note right as he turns? Or do you want to have it play right you know, as reacting to his turn. It's that mm. kind of a thing. Very subtle. I mean, wonderful, wonderful experience. I mean, at that point when I was, you know, at that age, I didn't necessarily realize how wonderful it is because when you're young, you just want everybody to say you're great and everything yeah. you do is great <laughs> and, and, and kind of argue for your point of how you did it originally. But um, just her questioning um, was basically the way that I was able to develop a strong sense of how to communicate with a director or producer because she would be that kind of in-between person at that point. That's so cool that you got to learn on the job. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's passed passed away. She was. I was always looking forward to growing really old and, and, and having tea with her on her veranda up in you know, up in the wine country and just basically talking about life. But, you know, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. But, yeah. Was, yeah, she was just amazing. So Yeah, what was it like to work with her? What, tell me a little bit more about Shirley. Shirley is, um, well, as, as another thing that I'm doing right now, I'm, I'm part one of the founding members of the Alliance for Women Film Composers. Mm. 
and because there really aren't that many women film composers out there visible, there are many of behind the scenes, and you don't even know that they are around because mm-hmm. people don't. You, you, if I asked you to name ten women film composers, you probably couldn't do it, right? Yeah. So Shirley was basically the the uh, trailblazer for so many women composers, but she didn't ever want to think of herself that way. She just did a great job. She was a strong, strong woman. Uh, and a great family person too. She has wonderful, wonderful two sons, and and was in, lo- in love till her you know her husband passed away before her. But um, a great, just basically great role model for life because she had a, a well balanced life, and yet she did what she loved to do, and she was strong and confident. And for a young woman starting out in the business to have that as a that kind of person as a role model was just very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. So for anyone, really, it's a, it's it's great. Um, she was a, a, a great teacher and also a very. Sometimes she'd be harsh, you know. Be you know she would. I remember once I I sat in on a spotting session. I didn't spot the first show. Spotting is when you decide where the music's going to go mm-hmm. in a particular episode. And at first, um, I mean, of course, now I do all my own spotting sessions. But back then, it was she would do them, and we would kind of sit and be quiet and kind of listen and take it in. And afterwards, we discussed it privately with her, and and. I didn't. I I had not really delved into the story so much. I was more concerned about what my, what was my music going to be like, as opposed to talking about the characters and the mm-hmm. essence of the story. So she kind of nailed me to the cross for that. She said, "You know, you're. This is not about you. This is about the story. Hell, you have to. You are subservient to the story, and your goal is to." To help uh, realize the vision of the producer, the director, whoever the whoever is the creative main force behind the project, and and be a part of the team rather than it ha- being all about you. So it's that was like whoa, okay, that's the last. T- I have to really pay attention to what I'm doing mm-hmm. now. So it's pretty amazing. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey there, railroad enthusiasts! Do you love trains? Are you loco for locomotives? Then come on down to the Gotham City Train Museum, where we've been working on the railroad all the live long day. We've got every kind of train your brain can think of. Big trains, small trains, medium-sized trains, runaway trains, and stay-at-home trains. We don't judge. As long as it's a train, it's in our outdoor museum, which is piling up quickly. But wait, there's more. Trains, that is. We've got crazy trains and peace trains, trains with hobos, trains Trains with oboes, trains with the deranged space bounty hunter Lobo. For you Holly weird enthusiasts, we've got the movie Training Day, which is not a train but has the word train in it. We also have the unofficial homemade sequel Training Night, which I've been working on for the last five years of my goddamn life. Want more trains? Don't care? Too bad. Either way, here we go. Stinky trains, fresh smelling trains, trains with training wheels, trains without training wheels, trains without wheels, aka hunks of metal we can't move, invisible trains, dirigible trains, sentient and unhappy trains, upside down and inside out trains. Trains full of bees and trains with full tummies. Last but certainly not least, we've got a train that's painted blue. That's right, it's a blue train. Nothing too special, just a regular train painted blue. So come on down, you old men and kids under the age of nine. We're the Gotham Train Museum, and we know trains better than we'd like. That's right, we have no other interests or hobbies. We're boring train people. Just south of the Sunrise Foundation and north of my wife left me because I care too much about trains. <laughs> that's not a street, but it's a fact. Trains! work with anybody else uh, on the crew or was it mostly with Shirley? Well, um, I I came from a pretty traditional uh, 
training base as far as I had I was able to orchestrate. Orchestrate is basically, let's say if I play the theme on the piano, mm-hmm. um, if I've already in my mind heard that, okay, this melody is going to be played by the violins and this is going to be played by by French horns, um, some composers uh, aren't trained to be able to translate that to a score, which is a bigger, bigger musical piece of paper that basically allows for all the instruments to be assigned their parts. Um, but that's kind of what I started out doing because my early days of orchestrating, I orchestrated for Michael Kamen and Basil Polidorus. And I mean, on some really big, big, big features, I worked on Lethal Wep- all some of the Lethal Weapons oh, and man. Robin Hood. And, <laughs> a lot of saxophones work- in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and, uh, and so I had that training. And so um, basically after you write, after I write the sketch, which is couple of lines of information whether nowadays it's all you know it's computerized but still it's it's whether you realize it in a smaller vein or do it for a big orchestra you still have to start with the the ideas and then you have to figure out a way to have the orchestra play it so if you don't know how to do it yourself you hire somebody who's an orchestrator who Mm -hmm. basically takes your sketch and makes it work for the orchestra and then you have the next tier is music preparation and basically they take the big score and they divide it up you know, here's here violinist. Here is your part, trumpet player. Here is your part, and and all that has to be together. And then, of course, it has to get recorded. Yeah. So you need a good recording stage, an engineer. And then it has to get mixed, and after it's mixed, then it goes to the dubbing stage, and then you then you cross your fingers that the sound that the train won't ex- yeah. <laughs> extinguish all the music. And in this case, it didn't. So it yeah, cool. it came together really nicely in this yeah. one. Do well, you- thanks. I'm sorry, if I can Yeah, go for it. Uh, I was just wondering, it was surely the one that was sort of, um, because you had jumped in, uh, you sort of had to merge into into a highway here. Like Uh the episodes had already been composed. Was there sort of an overall feel that the show was driving towards with the music, or was it something that surely, was there anything you had to basically adhere to that had already been sort of established or did you have more freedom? Oh, she surely absolutely set out a, a tone and that was something that she had worked on worked on with uh, the producers with with Bruce Tim and and Eric Radomski and Alan Burnett and um, basically the tone had been established and even though I was already involved early on at the very beginning in some form I was actually one of her assistants and mm-hmm. and doing some work for her orchestrating you know taking what she had done mm-hmm. and orchestrating it um Themes were written for different characters, and some we were able to write. Some sometimes she would assign themes to the other composers working on the series. Like I did the the poison ivy, the oh, ivy. Yeah. You know that's that little motif. So every time you hear ivy, oh, I always had a suspicion creepy, that a lot yeah. of the villains' themes would sound like their name. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> or even Justice League. I don't know. <laughs> you can. I have a friend who claims that every you can sing every hero's name to those DC animated shows. Oftentimes. <laughs> Superman, prob- yeah. Superman, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, <laughs> look up there, hey, it's Superman. Of <laughs> like course, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But so she, Shirley basically had the, the themes we would share. So if I were working... Ivy's a cool one. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Well, she basically allowed me to do that. I mean, and, and the themes are something you often want as the main composer you kind of want to hang on to because on a purely practical level, you know, if other people are using your themes, you're going to ha- get some royalties for those themes as well. That's great. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it was nice that she offered that to me I mean, as short as it is, it was a memorable theme, and uh, I, we would have to use her her themes for the various characters. 
on, on, on all the various series. So that would kind of bring it together, you know, to have the themes come in from yeah. all the other episodes. And definitely it would have, it would not have been appropriate to go into some sort of techno thing or something. It's like, you know, <laughs> okay, no. For Batman yeah. Beyond. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This, yeah. Is, yeah. this is actually an orchestral, you know, kind of timeless score feeling. So. Uh, can we take a brief detour mm-hmm. into that Poison Ivy theme? Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know how, you know, it's been a little while, but do you remember how you came up with that? I think it is such like an iconic. It's kind creepy. Of like a I remember. Yeah, there's it. a real creepiness to that whole episode. And yeah. Yeah, I think it really was the name thing that was. You know, that's what it, it was. Very simple, but it the I, but below the da da you have a you have a note that that is a seventh away, which for musical nerds you'll know what that is. But it's not just. Like major chord, da da da, it's a divey da. It's like you hear below that the tone, and above you have ivy. So the the note, the undercurrent is creepy. Yeah, mm. there's something very so, unnerving yeah. about it. Like you're never, yeah. you never are able to settle into it. Yeah, yeah. and also just uh, I think orchestrationally, a lot of times um, it would be done with you know like vibraphone with soft mallets and the motor running, so you'd get kind of like that ringing sound and mm-hmm. a little bit of you know the string the strings and sometimes harmonics so yeah it's it's fun it's fun kind of when something takes off and and you've been a part of it and say okay all right yay well and sometimes they'd work the themes in together like harley and ivy that one episode where you know harley quinn and poison ivy team up it's fun to hear both of their themes Mm. kind of like intertwine Uh uh, a little bit (laughs) yeah meld do you are there any other standout musical instances for you on the show like do you rem- is there something else that you created or you just love oh gosh you know there's so that that's pretty show broad is question so, it is a broad question <laughs> i just i think the i think um the, everything was so new for me that being being so young and so basically given this free reign somewhat to do my thing and also uh, it, to conduct the orchestra and to have the support of Warner Brothers was just, it was, I, I just took it all in. So mm-hmm. I, I can't say that w- there was anything, one thing that stood out so much. I think, I mean, one thing that does come to mind is the fact that Shirley did, on Batman the Animated Series, there were so many composers that were starting out with her. I mean, I think we counted, it was something like 20 some odd composers wow. that basically mm-hmm. filtered in and did some of these um, episodes. And I wouldn't say that there was anyone that wasn't good. I mean, all of them were really great composers. I think the people that survived kind of the training camp were ones that basically could could grasp um, what she was going for, which was creating basically a support system for for her mm-hmm. for her to her to be able to take us kind of take us all into the next the next series and and it wasn't it was very exhausting i'm sure for her to manage that many composers and and also work on her career i mean she was doing other things also looking for a feature career and and she had some some success i mean had she had she lived longer she would have i'm sure had even greater success in the feature world but but um i think just just building that kind of safety trust with her was was the thing that was I remember as kind of the biggest thing of a biggest thing of that I mean she basically started my my career yeah what an amazing series of opportunities that she would lend to up-and-coming composers it sounds like yeah to be part of this I mean honestly it's been the last uh you know the the first 
first years of 10 years, 15 years of my life, it was, you know, we were known as like Shirley's people, Shirley's mm. team. And, you know, now it's, it's I, I really hope that um, I can help keep her name alive and her memory alive, you know, as the young generation comes in and they don't really understand who's written the music. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they when they start listening to these older series that they pay attention and realize that there was this an amazing woman that wrote fantastic music and basically open the door for many of us to go on and have successful careers on our own. So. Yeah, I mean, it should be mentioned that the, a lot of the score has been made available through like the La La Land releases. Uh, they're incredible if you guys, you in the podcast ether, have not listened to them. <laughs> get them. They are so amazing and it's really, I think, I mean, there are people that have get extra copies as collect, you know, collector's items and keep the cellophane on kind of yeah. like, you know, yeah. used to do with like, you know, like the little toys and whatever. It's like the cell it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Well, it's rare that like uh, a T a cartoon gets that kind of release, but the music is so good. Well, and the liner notes, I mean, they do such uh. great liner notes and they get the artwork and, you know, I worry about all the, you know, just how everything is so accessible digitally and all this and people don't want to spend have the hard copies but you know there's something just so wonderful about get having that the liner notes yeah. in particular are one of my favorite parts i yeah. mean like it's it's like a little coffee table book <laughs> about the music but just in a tinier form yeah. i do have to you know i'm i have to put in a plug to just say go to their website and stay tuned because there's some pretty amazing stuff coming yeah? up soon nice. that I'm very excited about. Oh, yeah. man, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, the fans, we get people writing to us all the time. When is this going to be released? When is that going to be released? And 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 begging me to send them, you know, begging, to, can you just send me, I, I swear, I swear I won't sell, I won't play <laughs> it for anyone. It's like, I can't do it. It's not my music. It belongs to. But did you hear me? I said I swear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not goes. about not wanting to. I mean, my goodness. I mean, and and honestly, people think that you don't get your hands slapped. You do get your hands slapped, and you can get in really big trouble if if you if you share something. I'm sure that's legally, not yeah, yeah, with a so, larger company too. Oh, yeah. Something. So you know, it's not that we don't want to. So eventually. Very well. Sooner. Very soon. Oh, very, very soon. soon. So yeah, very yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. Keep refreshing that page. Oh yeah. <laughs> Whatever page you're on. Just just and, and I also just have to say that there's some really, really exciting stuff coming out from Warner Brothers. So I think oh, they're going to be man. announcing some really cool things. Cool, a couple oh. things that we've been involved that we're involved in. That uh, yeah, that's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about it's never too late. Just you know, dig into the episode a bit, yeah. Mark. I mean, you you love this one. I do. Let's I, talk. I, I, I another question of mine was um, there are certain parts of the score, specifically when we go to the. I know we promised we weren't going to get too, yeah. too specific. We're getting real Comic Con nerdy years on you. Ago. <laughs> yeah, we were hitting that Comic Con level. Um, <laughs> but when they, we first meet uh, the 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 father character, the priest, mm-hmm. um, and we kind of pan up to to Batman on the cathedral, and there are very specific moments in the music there that really seem to harken back, at least for me, to Danny Elfman's Batman score. I was wondering if that had any influence at all or was that obviously the main theme but if there was any discussion episode by episode well you know um tone wise i mean we're dealing with kind of like the dark minor kind of feeling of 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 danny's music um yeah uh but generally we would try to if if batman's up on the uh, on a ledge or doing anything it's generally the quote would be doing Shirley's, you know, da, 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 that theme mm-hmm. would be for Batman. So we, we generally that's kind of the the, yeah. the essence of it. But 
But of course, because the because Danny's involvement, what he was involved in the first series, first season, you know, with you know having the the theme yeah. music, um, we you have to kind of try to honor that, so it kind of ties together. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Danny's. So you know, I mean, there, I I think he's such his music is just uh, he's such a visual composer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's strange to me that I mean it seems like a rare thing that a church was even featured in a kids' cartoon. Like it's kind of like a gothic cathedral, mm-hmm. but there's a priest in it. Like I feel like that at least like writing for animation, it's so hard to get any. Like nobody wants to put religion into yeah. a show. So the fact that they got away with this is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, that and then going to a drug treatment clinic. Yeah, there's <laughs> rehab the end, and there's rehab and there's there's a priest a who Batman kind of scares with a <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, he scares everybody. Yeah, that's I think true. This, I mean, this, he creeps into your place. Of course you're going to be scared. This episode is a record number of people backing up into Batman kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like three times in this episode. But Yeah. I mean, it really, the only thing that, that people worry about too much are, are, you know, shooting gunshots or any uh-huh. kind of thing. Like, I mean, the violence. But, but as far as dark story points, I don't think there's hardly ever any big problem with it. It's just a matter of whether kids will like it. Now, right. I, you know, so I, I think it's... The interesting thing is that this the whole series is basically it's one of these things that people hold up, you know, it's like, oh, but just like Batman, the animated series, we want it mm-hmm. to be like Batman, the animated series, like it's some some sort of a, you know, the, the, the you have to measure it. Yeah, yeah, benchmark. For... And that's that's pretty, pretty amazing, you know. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I think it is this. It's the iconic Batman that exists. Even I mean, like Nolan's Batman recently, obviously, has been like a really big deal. But I don't know. And maybe it's just because we grew up on it. But this feels more. You know, like you have the darkness, but you also have comedy. You have like kind of Mm -hmm. every iteration of Batman interwoven into something that's like a little more timeless. It sometimes is a little. uh... I don't know, I might get in trouble for saying this, but <laughs> I think that uh, the the writers and the producers of these of of those sh- animated shows, the material is so strong that yeah, the feature people, you know, it's like they they look to that for inspiration. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and if I were one the writer, one of the writers, and I then I realized that oh gosh, this is kind of my idea, but it's not my property, so I can't really do anything about it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like wow, they should have just hired me to write this, you know, like whoever the writer is of a particular episode. If they, you know, look at the feature. Honestly, like, wow. they borrowed most of the backstories and like I mean, Deanie's stuff was kind of brought into some of the '90s movies yeah. as well as I mean, like mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, these, they're very talented, and 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 quite a few writers have you know crossed over into live action, but not not that many. You know, we kind of you know people tend to sign up, kind of pigeonhole people in there. You know, you stay in the animation world; you, that's where you're successful. But but uh, it's they're brilliant, brilliant writers and and directors, and and then of course you have you know you have you know your Andrea Romano, and you she's know, amazing. Just, yeah, she's yeah, she's yeah. There were so many powerhouses on this show. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, you guys are all so good oh thanks well it's just it's it's fun i mean imagine getting paid to do what you love to do it's pretty oh, cool it's yeah. the seems like the best <laughs> it is the it is the best yeah and d- how how was your experience transitioning to i mean we talked a little bit about it but to the other shows in this kind of universe so superman was a much brighter show it was yeah superman i loved superman i loved um it's what made me like superman i really yeah. didn't you know i like christopher reeve's superman but i think I, as a kid i was like batman's cool hmm. and this iteration of superman is what made me like the character yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I we had a, a great season, and on that on that show, there were only four of us left, along with Shirley from her grand experiment. We went to from like twenty some on to four. Hmm. So it was myself, Christopher Carter, Michael McQuishan, and the late Harvey Cohen. We went on to do Superman with with Shirley, and and it was nice. There were a lot of these two two part story arcs, uh, which yeah. you know was fun to kind of delve in. And actually, when you have a two in two half hours, it almost feels like a feature. So you can start developing music that you can expand on on the next half hour. So it's not just, you know, one little short little bit. Um, Superman was great. And then Batman Beyond was the ultimate crazy experiment. Little left turn. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I'm sure the story has been told, but it's uh, basically uh, the, the powers that be didn't think that Shirley and her people could do yeah. that music you know it's like okay right you know like we all really look like you know kind of heavy metal rock and roll <laughs> people you know so I think it was pretty much they were ready to look for someone else and Shirley stepped in and basically said wait a minute let, let's let's do it so we, what she did was she she got a bunch of pre-existing tracks and then had all of us write music that was kind of like that, you know, like with the grungy guitars and everything. And we put together this amazing CD that they used kind of as inspiration to, mm -hmm. to draw to and animate to. And they thought, wow, you guys can actually do this. So, mm -hmm. I mean, the Chris's, Chris's um, Batman Beyond theme, Christopher Carter's Batman Beyond theme was actually on that demo. It wasn't necessarily even meant to be the theme, but, but people Bruce, liked it so Bruce, much. Bruce Tim just loved it and latched onto it, so that became the theme. My Joker, uh, the Joker chase, you know, in the first episode, there's, um, it was, uh, it just a, a, a big, a big chase. It was kind of this thing that the that, Joker's gang, yeah, yeah. Was it? yeah, yeah. So that was basically that became that was from the demo. So it was elaborated on. So, so it cool. was it was basically her having enough, you know, chutzpah yeah. <laughs> to say, hey, you know, we're going to do this. We're keeping our our job. We That's don't cool. we don't want to be replaced by <laughs> you know a, a heavy metal band. We can do this. So that was that was awesome. And then you know after Shirley basically kicked kicked us out of our nest, um, it's been uh, we've it's been a really really great thing working with my two partners I mean they're I, I, well, I have such respect for Michael and Christopher and we we feed off of each other and it's you know what's, sometimes I'll hear something that one of them does and it's like oh my gosh that's so good I better I better up my game you know <laughs> here so it's it's a nice collaborative thing that we have going on so. that's so cool do you have any advice for aspiring composers meet directors and producers you know if you're if you're in college don't hang out with the musicians hang out with the filmmakers <laughs> you know hang out with the writers get to know those people because the other musicians aren't necessarily going to give you the job you're going to so network with those networking work on understanding what story means understanding how to communicate with a director and a producer don't worry about explaining that it's going to be you know the third trombone playing an e flat nobody cares they just care how how the music's going to make you feel and and uh so think about ways to communicate that it's um the late uh the uh the uh, during my my years at Dick Grove uh, I studied with Lalo Schifrin for one one quarter <laughs> and uh the assignment was bring to bring to me the color orange music for orange. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even say the color; he said for orange. So how? So it was the idea of of what does that mean? You know, how does that? What does that mean musically? So some people brought music that sounded like warm and and sunsetty orange, and some people brought the zesty kind of tangy, you know, 
bright little, you know, like like the zest of an orange. And just learning how to communicate without just saying what kind of music it is, but talking more about just basically what, what kind of concepts you, you, you are evoked at that point. So That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what was your interpretation of orange? My orange actually was, was really warm, like a like one of those sunsets that when you have a when you have a little bit of smog in the sky mm-hmm. and it's everything is so bright orange yeah. and full and, and warm. So um, not that I like smog, but you know what I mean. Those wow, crazy nobody, nobody out here on the podcast. You know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, smog. Lolita loves smog. Yeah. <laughs> it's just in. That'll be the title. Of this Hashtag Lolita <laughs> loves smog. <laughs> Tell, uh, truthfully, it's a lot better than it was when I when I moved down. You know, right after high school, I remember my parents drove me down, and I had rented this little apartment uh, in Studio City, and. They thought, what have we done? Where where are we leaving our daughter in this awful place? I mean, it was one of those where you drive over the hill and you can't see anything. Yeah. Just, oh, yeah. 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 So, well, but now Portland it's Portland especially. <laughs> like, yeah, mm, yeah, Land yeah. of beauty and trees. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about in terms of it's never too late? Um, probably the other thing that I was wondering. Yeah. Um, let me see if I could remember exactly how I was going to phrase this. Uh, I did have a third question and it's almost completely slipping my mind now. So if you want to well, fill... Yeah, while you're thinking room. about it, uh, Paul yeah. Dooley was a character. He did a voice for this. He's a he's an actor and comedian who I like. He did the voice of Father Michael. Oh. Uh, there's a little oh. vamping for you. Yeah. Uh, I always thought he was supposed to be, look like... Uh, well, he might have supposed to look like the guy right of Angels with Dirty Faces, but I always thought he looked like... Um, uh, bridge on the, uh, on the waterfront. He looked like um, Carl Molden's priest character on the waterfront. Uh-huh. Is what I always thought. Well, not as a child, but what I thought now. He's got like a little tuft of hair, little curly in the front, and like a little underbite and a <laughs> big Carl Molden nose. Is what I always thought he looked like. I like Rupert Thorne quite a bit. He's a fun character, and the quality of his voice is so great. Dean uh, Vernon from Animal House. Vernon is, is amazing. Is, um, I mean, uh, yeah, that's yeah. He's John Vernon. He also he was in one of my favorite cult horror movies, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so that's why I really like him. And when I put those two together, it was like you know. This is, I guess, like an L.A. sort of reference, but like when you're driving the freeway and you see everybody merging from another freeway, it felt like I was merging from the freeway point that I had never seen. I was like, oh, he's this guy. These two things are coming. That was a very it's, convoluted it's idea. It's weird, isn't like it? It's like, um, like, like right now, um, Diedrich Bader, who plays... Who, who, Voice of Batman, Batman and Brave, and the, Bold, Brave right? and the Bold, which is another series that we did. Yeah. Oh, which um, is great, by the way. Awesome. Yeah, we love that. But it's he's on Veep. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. Batman can't know, be he, on Veep. And he's it's, an asshole character. But he's too. good. <laughs> but it's like he he speaks and it's like, oh, my God. I, I can't get used to it. Oh, and it's I'm very so, weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm very starstruck and in a wonderful way, not about the celebrity aspect, but, but the, the fact that the voice actors are so, uh, they're they're in my in my room for hours yeah. on end. So when I meet somebody, it's like, wow, keep talking. Okay, okay. <laughs> I just look at them and I just stare, and it's just so exciting just to actually meet the these people that that are doing these voices. I mean, it's just you know, you get like a D. Bradley Baker that does all the wild, wacky sounds, the craziest mm-hmm. noises that shouldn't come from a human being. It's like him and Frank Welker. <laughs> Unbelievable, but it's just, I mean, oh yeah, and Brave and the Bold was such a fun show. And we did the this musical, uh, May- Mayhem of the Music yeah. Meister, that Neil Patrick Harris. Which they released, sang. didn't they release it on iTunes at the it's time? It's on iTunes, yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, 
I mean, that was just so much fun, just crazy fun. And talk about what a what a 180 degrees difference from the animated series. I mean, this was just camp and just I love just it. fun, just so much fun. And I didn't Lots expect of to because I grew up on the other one, and then it was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah, well, James Tucker just had this wacky idea, and he is so he's so creative and he just allowed us to kind of go for it and, and just write, write in that stock, you know, use a lot of bongos. Actually, when we, when we wrapped up the season, we, as a gift, we gave him a, a, a nice bon- <laughs> some bongo drums. So it was really fun. So. I remembered my question now. Yeah. Okay. Yay. Um, so you had mentioned earlier that you would have the spotting session with Shirley where uh-huh. she would review what you would come up with. Was there anything when you had written the score for this episode that, that made it past her notes that got in that you were really happy with or uh, coupling with that uh, do you have a favorite moment in the score Um, most of what I wrote made it in I think she basically opened the door to writing our solo episode when she thought we were ready yeah and I'd really, I think, I mean, I'm such, I'm a good student. I take a lot of notes. I, I paid a lot of it. I paid close attention. Um, it just, it, I labored over everything. Mm. I mean, I would, I took, th- I, I had three weeks to write it. I took every minute of those three weeks. Wow. These, now, nowadays, it's, you know, you have maybe, you know, a week or less to, to from start to finish. Um I like I like the opening. I like the basic the theme that I sang earlier. I think you know the fact that I can still sing. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, so that I think that stuck with me, and just the the feeling that it was all pretty much ma- pretty much in one genre, yeah. with the, a few exceptions of the a few Batman moments. Yeah. But the rest of it was more true to that style. So. That's great. Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you so much well, for coming in and sitting th- down and absolutely. talking with us. Thanks for inviting me. Gosh, what an honor. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was so fun. a pleasure. It was awesome. Thanks, Mark. Yay. Thanks, Lolita. Thank you very much Thank for you. having me. All righty. Yeah. And now we say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Question mark. Ooh. <laughs> All righty. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> cool. Well, there you have it, guys. That's another episode. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, it's never too late to subscribe in iTunes and give us a good rating and review. It honestly helps out a lot, so I'd appreciate it if you did it. Uh, You can donate and find out more about the podcast at www.batspodcast.com. Follow me on Twitter for updates at BTASpodcast or at HeyJustin. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, Casey Trela helped produce the theme song, and Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast. Thanks to my guests Lolita Ritmanis and Mark Schroeder, as well as Pat Jansen for sound engineering, and Todd McClintock and Laura Allen over at Stupid Buddy Studios for providing the booth. Also, thanks to Jace Armstrong for playing Kevin Conroy bot. Lastly, thanks to This American Life producer, Tori Malatia, who screamed, You blew it, you jerks! at my buddies and I after we popped out too early and ruined a surprise party for his mom. Sorry, Mrs. Malatia! See you guys in a couple of weeks for a very Paul Dini-heavy Batman the Animated Podcast.